Hi, this is Stefan Hewitt. I'm the publisher for Hand to Hand, and I'm here speaking today with Dina Metzger, who's the author of her new novel, A Reign of Nightbirds. Hi, Dina. Hi, Stefan, dear. <laughs> you know, I, I am looking at this cover that you designed and yeah. um, that everyone loves so much. It's actually thrilling to oh, have a publisher who is, um, well, you know, we call you a Renaissance man. And so one of your gifts is uh, images. Uh, you're an artist and, yeah. and this cover is the work of an artist. Well, thank you. Thank you. Well, it is inspiring. Um, you know, he's inspired by um, reading, reading your amazing novel. Um, the um the lightning the desert that whole landscape that you paint uh in the novel of the night um and canyon de Chez and the arizona desert um how did the landscape influence the writing of this book dina that's probably an interesting place to, to begin well i think the landscape is the book yeah that uh, the landscape is more than a character. It is the reason for being. Um, mm -hmm. I'm remembering a conversation so many years ago with our common friend, uh, Danelia Wild, who had just come back from Arizona and being on the Hopi Reservation. And she came to a reading I was doing of what Dina thought. And the question she was carrying, we had never met, was whether the landscape influenced my writing. Because hmm. she had just been so profoundly moved by the land where she was. Mm -hmm. And I think I can say that the, that the landscape, that the land, let's not call it the landscape because it's so deep. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. The land is an essential quality and it is as you and i have talked so many times something that urban people no longer understand and right. so one of the things the book is about is the uh the difference between a western mind that is alienated from the land and mm -hmm. Uh, indigenous mind that is completely connected to beyond being supported by it, it, it is indigenous mind is in a continuous relationship with the land and I think this book is in a continuous relationship with the land yeah yeah and the and the uh, two protagonists Sandra and Terence um, also seem to embody this, uh, well, what the book explores, which is the, um, the conflict that we have uh, between um, our lives in a technological and Western society uh, and the emptiness that we feel in terms of what I believe the land connects us with, which is our deeper soul and our deeper connection to for a better, lack of a better word, spirit in general. Yes, and the two different kinds of emptiness that there's, there's the Buddhists will talk about emptiness, which is a 
a presence. Mm-hmm. Um, but the emptiness you're talking about is um, is is the emptiness of loss and desolation. Right. Right. Yeah. And yeah. and you know the book was um, sparked, so to speak, when I was in the desert and I was in Joshua Tree, and um, uh, I had we had just published um, La Negri Blanca, and I was returning from one of the first readings of that book and lamenting that I didn't have another novel, and driving through Joshua Tree stopped to take a walk. It was very cold. I went out on on this empty landscape that called me and found myself picking up garbage. And um, finally, my, my hands were, were, were full. And you know, Stefan, there's this passage in, in the preface where the narrator talks, and it's the only time she talks. And it goes like this. I feel like the only way to really render this is to read it. It was February 2011. I just published another novel and was hoping to be inspired to write the next. Walking in Joshua Tree National Park, I found myself preoccupied by picking up garbage until my pockets and hands were full, and yet there was no end to it. I'm sorry. The words surprised me. I had said them aloud. I'm sorry, I repeated. That's when I heard the voice. You know, the voice said. Her name is Sandra Birdswell, and she's a meteorologist. And of course, I didn't know anything. But I don't think this book would have been given to me, or I would have been able to write it if I hadn't been out there in grief, really, for what was happening to to the desert, as well as so deeply connected to its beauty and presence. Yeah. Yeah, I remember asking you after La Negra y Blanca was published, so where's the next, what's your uh, next novel, Dina? And there was the kind of a look of... Um, I'm not really sure. <laughs> and and you really had to go find it. And in order to find it, you had to go connect with the land. Well, you know, you have just, <laughs> you've just done what you so often do. You've given me such a gift because, you know, I don't know what the next novel is. <laughs> and though I say I'm not yet hysterical about being without a novel, as you told this, I realized I was on the edge and that I have to go the land. Right. And I knew somehow that Canyon de Chez would be important to, to this book. Yeah. Um, and Canyon de Chez is a place that I go to. I don't know where I'm going to go mm-hmm. for the next one. Mm-hmm. But we know that I went, that I was in Joshua Tree, that I mm-hmm. went to Canyon de Chez. Um, I went back to Canyon de Chez when I was writing the book. And mm-hmm. I went to the Columbia Gorge and the Yakima Reservation and that horrific, deadly site, um, Hanford Nuclear Reservation. Mm-hmm. 
all of which appear as characters in the book. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And um, and, um, and the and the character the and the protagonists, um, these characters such as Hanford and the Akuma, um, act upon the protagonists in such a way that is so powerful uh, and so necessary for people to um, read this book, I, I believe, uh, because it's really the, what those protagonists are dealing with are the central issues of our time. Um, uh, they're in terms of the um, relationship between uh, indigenous mind, connection with the land, connection with soul, and Western mind connection with technology and science, and unfortunately as well, uh, colonial mind and colonial mindset, which you so beautifully uh, illustrate in this novel. Well, I had the task. I didn't know it in the beginning. I learned it as the story began to develop. I had the task of showing the negative effects on the land and, and the people of science, scientific mind, Western mind. But I also had to render the wisdom, the original wisdom of this land that um, is indigenous. Mm -hmm. And of course, I knew I had the skill because I'd done it before to speak about Western mind mm -hmm. and um, but I did not know if I could speak about indigenous mind because I'm not a, a newly indigenous person and that's not quite the right word I'm not I was not born indigenous right and and, and one of the character one of the protagonists is a Native American man Right. So how was that for you to write a character or to channel, let's say, a character uh, who's native man being a uh, originally non-native woman? Um, it was terrifying. I didn't want to do it. Terrence himself is um, mixed blood, uh, mm -hmm. but he was raised in part by his grandparents who were native. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't want to write the book. And now we go back to the to the preface again, and um, where I, where I end with it. Um, Terence appeared. I had great trepidation about writing about him. I didn't know if I had the right to write about a native man inasmuch as cultural appropriation is an ongoing violation, but I didn't have the right to refuse him either. And so I had yeah. to be ready to fail mm -hmm. and to offend if that happened. I uh, wouldn't have brought the book out into the world if it hadn't been read by native people mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and and i asked them to be uh, brutally honest 
And when they said that it was okay, then I felt I could bring it out into the world. Well, it, it, to me, Terence is uh, an essential character because the uh, one of the main stories in the novel is this uh, love affair between Sandra Birdswell, who's a Western scientist, although also of exceptional intuitive ability, uh, and she has a she has a romance with a native man, and so uh, it's very much um, to me the essential part of the novel that um, that the relationship that they have with each other is a bridging uh, or an attempt at least to bridge these two parts of um, our culture, our culture at large. And everyone who speaks to me about the book speaks of this love affair mm -hmm. um, between the two of them. And... Um, I'm a little awed by it myself. <laughs> uh, they do make the bridge. And in part, they make the bridge because they both step away from Western mind. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. And they are companions in their grief about what has happened to the earth. And because the climatologists, they know it so well and they are bombarded by the fact of it every single day. And when they meet each other, they can no longer compartmentalize this grief. Mm -hmm. So they're very courageous to be willing to love each other and because I think it brings so much pain also. Yeah the intimacy of their love uh, brings out the grief as well. And it's, it's also what they have in common is a deep, deep love for the earth, which then of course automatically in a sense brings out that grief uh, since yes. we're all immersed in it collectively. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And what happens um, in the course of the book is because they are facing what they must face and they get the strength to do it together or the necessity to do it, but they're also broken, each yeah. one in his or her way. Um, and it's because they love each other. And the earth, yeah. And they really love each other. <laughs> So in some, in, in some part, the book is about what it's like when you love, uh, when you love each other, um, Sandra's love for her father and for her father's dear friend, who is a native elder, Hastin Seda, and her love for the earth. Mm -hmm. So the... The intensity of heart and heartbreak is also a theme. You know, I didn't know I, any of this when I was writing it. I know, I know. It, it, it came out over, and it took you, let's see, you began this in 2011? Yeah, February, yeah. let's say February 20th, 2011. Uh-huh. 
and here we are at 2017. So it's about six years in in gestation. Right. And you remember, I I I sent you some beginning chapters or explorations. You were very <laughs> kind. <laughs> you said, uh-huh. <laughs> because it wasn't there yet. And we both well, knew it. Was, it. It, was, it was mostly about Sandra, and that was good. And that was good. But Terrence didn't appear until much later, as I recall. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that was the uh, spark that uh, began the the love affair and the conflict and the... Uh, and what also drew them down, I mean, you have a chapter entitled Bow Down, and it's kind of the one of the um, essential aspects of healing that we seem to all go through at one time or another in our lives, in which we are brought to our knees uh, in terms of our suffering, and yet this suffering is not just suffering, that it has inherent within it a message or a gift um, that that is necessary to integrate if we are to um, move forward. Yes, and if we're wise, then we know when we're on our knees or mm -hmm. fully flat, flattened mm -hmm. on the ground, that when we get up, we must not be the same person. We must right. not return to the old life. Right. We cannot, really. Cannot. And, and the characters go through this. They they both almost die, actually, yes. in their in their quest for uh, connection and truth. Right. Yeah. And they want truth. You know, in in this time that we're living in, in which truth has fled, I think. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's become alternative fact, right? Right. I mean, the, the horror of of what is written and spoken. Um, yeah. th these two, just as you said, these two want truth. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And they're determined to live with integrity. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's another thing that the book talks about what what it means, how hard it is, what the challenges are to living with integrity. And for Sandra, well, for Terence also, uh, the way one's professional life, which should enhance truthfulness, um, interferes with integrity. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, um, which is a central part of the conflict that we all have to deal with at one level or another. Right. How do we, how do we live a life that, 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 um, as the Hippocratic oath says, that does no harm to the earth and to other people. Yeah. And Sandra's father, John Birdswell, that's what he tried as a physician. That's what he really, really tried to live by. Do no harm. So that became, for Sandra, the measure by which she examined everything she did. She right. asked, does this do harm? And mm -hmm. if so, how could she avoid, how could she step away from doing it? 
Mm -hmm. Not an easy task. Well, in, in these days, you know, almost everything we do in one way or another does harm to one being or another. And yet the native people, um, the indigenous people, the, the indigenous characters um, in this book are always speaking about all my relations, which means that we must walk in the world with exquisite care for everything. Mm -hmm. It's interesting that all, when you say all my relations, I, um, what struck me about almost all the protagonists, uh, Terence, Hostine, and Sandra, is that, well, not Hostine so much, but I guess uh, John, Sandra, and Terence all have lost, to a certain degree, um, their ancestral roots. John was adopted, uh, right. so he doesn't really know who his parents are. Uh, and there's this whole amazing, uh, almost terrifying uh, quest that Sandra has for her mother, who she never knew because she died giving birth to her. So, and um, Terence too feels very rootless, uh, having been subjected as a native man to um, being forbidden to speak his language and sent to schools, etc. Um, so, it, uh, how does that rootlessness contribute in this way to their search for their connection to all their relations? Well, they, they know that they need, they know that they need to be rooted. Well, John didn't know that. Um, uh -huh. He grew up, he was adopted. He grew up in this uh, household um, and it, it, it didn't come into his mind, but it mm -hmm. came into Sanders because she didn't have a mother and, um, and so somewhere she knew she didn't have the mother, um, right. though she couldn't articulate it. Right. And there's that small moment with Hosting Seda when he's talking about his daughters who have to leave the reservation and they're going to work in Tucson. And he knows that they are going to be ruthless. Right. He doesn't say it, but as you spoke of that, I understood that his connection to rootlessness is the is his fears for the future. Right. They're entering the city. They're going into city life and right. adopting Western ways and leaving behind their native ways. Right, and they must do that because. Right. It's been set up in such a way they will not have food, literally. They will not yep. be able to survive. Right, right. What an interesting book, Stephanie. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's so resonant with our time. It's just, uh, I remember as I was editing it, just uh, 
getting lost in the story and having to pay attention to the editing rather than the story itself. I mean, it really is quite moving. The, uh, the drama that occurs around each individual's quest for, uh, as we said, a quest for truth, a quest for connection and relationship. I think that's very important is that they're really finding relationship, relationship to each other, relationship to the land, uh, relationship to the elementals. And that's the hope, isn't it? That as much as there's much darkness in the book, um, they do find these relationships. They do. And they do, which means yes. we can. Mm -hmm. And even John who who's a little innocent and uh, and very very dear and sort of thrown into this world he didn't expect to be thrown into because he chose to uh, do his military service on a reservation instead of going to Vietnam um, even John is slowly incorporated into the possibility of relationship to his friend, Hastin Seda, and to the land. Mm -hmm. And I think it's through that, through that relationship with Hastin that um, that happens quite by accident at first, um, that he gets drawn into a deeper relationship with the land, as well as with those parts of himself that he probably had to leave behind um, raising a raising a daughter alone uh, and being a Western doctor. Yes. And, and he had no idea he had lost anything. Pardon he me? knew he had lost his wife, but other right. than that, he did not right. know this. So we're back to the land again. Yeah. We've, we've come full circle. Yeah. To yeah. the land being essential. The land and the elements, which is where we come back to the cover of the book, which is uh, air, fire, earth, water. You know, we have the clouds, the water, um, the lightning, the fire, and the land, the earth, and the air. Yes. Uh, and the birds, birds flying through the air. Uh, and the, the birds look like they're being they're flying but they also look like they're being tossed by the wind and the wind is another character in the book right mr wind i mean you can see the um the turmoil uh mm -hmm. the storm mm -hmm. beautifully done stefan thank you well it was very much inspired well thank you for this conversation oh thank you Thank you. It was a pleasure.